Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. be seated. Thank you. Thank you, team, for leading us. Good morning, and uh, once again, welcome to Horizon West Church. Uh, If you're a first-time guest with us, we especially thank you for being here, Um, and we just recognize that in the room, and perhaps also uh, those watching online, uh, some of you are going through tremendous highs, uh, breakthroughs, experiencing overwhelming victory in your life, and we know others that are experiencing uh, suffering and loss and grief, and Uh, At the end of the service today, we've carved out just a little bit of space and time uh, where we're going to have people down front that will receive you in prayer. If you need to be prayed over this morning, we don't want you to leave without receiving the opportunity. Um, And it may be that you're here on behalf of someone else or you come to receive prayer on behalf of someone else, but we will have a chance uh, at the end of the service to do just that. Before we get uh, too far into the message portion of the service, I do want to acknowledge this weekend and what it means for us as a nation as we celebrate and honor uh, our veterans. And so if you are a veteran of the U.S. Armed Forces or one of our allies, would you stand? And we want to recognize and thank you for your service all around the room. We're going to have folks, men and women, thank you. Thank you. Let us never stop remembering those who serve and who sacrifice uh, for us to enjoy the, the privileges that we have. I had a, uh, a high school friend, a young man named Darren. Uh, Darren enlisted in the Marine Corps at 18 years old. Uh, there was some question among his peers whether he could survive boot camp, uh, much less four years of enlistment. And much to all of our surprise, uh, Darren excelled in uh, Marine boot camp. I got to be at his graduation in Paris Island. Um, And then to even uh, more surprise us, he was placed a a job in intelligence. And uh, we thought, man, Darren? But but that's what happened. And I I tell you that because the military, uh, the U.S. military, I believe, is is exceptionally good at something. Uh, One very particular thing that, that is not commonly something that organizations, institutions, and individuals are good at. Uh, What what really makes the U.S. military tick, what they are exceptionally good at, is helping young men and women identify both their weaknesses and their strengths, and then equipping them around their strengths and training them in the skills that they are naturally good at to accomplish a specific assignment. And they do that by taking all of those many individuals and merging them into units and battalions and troops to accomplish those objectives. From 2001 to 2006, the U.S. Army had a slogan, Army of One. Some of you would remember that, right? Army of One. The idea being that though all of the branches of the military and all of the individuals in those branches have wildly diverse backgrounds, personalities, skill sets, and experiences, when you join the U.S. Army, you are becoming a part of something that is a unified force. You are part of the Army of One. So all of our branches of the military, Army, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, Navy, Space Force, all of the different ranks from colonel to lieutenant to major to captain to private, all of those different specializations like administrative, medical, combat, intelligence, 
all of those work together to not weaken the U.S. Army or military, but to strengthen it. In other words, the military's success depends on its ability to get a wide diversity of people unified around a singular objective. This is also what determines the success of relationships, of business partnerships, and yes, of churches. It is not being a monolithic force where everybody has the same personalities and gifts and backgrounds and experiences. It is being diverse and bringing those to bear in a way that is healthy and effective. This idea is actually baked into the fabric of our nation. We have a phrase in Latin, it's on many of our coins, it's e pluribus unum. It means out of many, one. So so this is baked into the heart of who we are as a nation. It's ingrained into the idea of what makes military strong. And it is what Paul is going to address with a church called Corinth when it comes to being a healthy and effective church. By quick way of background, the Apostle Paul was a first century Jewish man who had come to follow Jesus and took the gospel all over the world and and planted churches and equipped men and women to then lead and serve within those churches. And one of the churches that Paul was a founding pastor of was Corinth in Greece. And years after he had founded that church, Corinth found itself not being strengthened by its diversities, but weakened by them. There is infighting, there's arguments, there's boasting, there's arrogance. And so Paul addresses in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians this very issue. And he does it with the metaphor of the human body. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 I'm going to read uh, first verses 14 through 20. We will eventually get uh, to the end of that passage. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Before I dive into the application of what this means at the local church level, I know many of us, not all, but many of us are married. Uh, we're, we're in significant relationships. And, and years ago, I picked up a tool uh, in my tool bag, and it's called the one-up, one-down tool. It's a way of thinking about relationships. And the idea is that, that oftentimes relationships go sideways, or perhaps marriages go sideways, because one person comes at it with a one-down mentality. Might say something like, If I were just more such and such, or if I was just less of that, we'd be okay. Or or, or it might say things like, uh, he or she deserves someone better than me. It's a one-down mentality. Or a person might be in a relationship and come at it with a one-up mentality. Then they're just saying the opposite. If he or she was just more, or if they were just someone else, or if they could just figure it out, one is one up, One perhaps is one down, and what is lost, what is sacrificed, is the ability to have anything like real connection and intimacy. The picture that's going up behind me is a a picture of what God intended relationships to look like within the church and certainly within a marriage. 
And when we come at each other from different levels because of shame, because of arrogance, whatever it might be, we sacrifice what is our superpower. (laughs) The superpower of the church is its ability to connect as God intended us to do. Now we see this in God himself, and and this is a, a very complex concept, but I hope I can explain it in a way that serves the purpose. The scripture is clear that God exists as one being in three persons. We know those persons as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And within what we call the triune nature of God, or the Trinity, is absolute equality. Absolute equality and absolute intimacy. And in Genesis chapter 1, God says, let us make mankind in our image. So in other words, what God experiences within himself of connection and intimacy and equal value, he said, let's make people who can also experience that with one another. And when he created the man and woman, he had a special design for them in the covenant of marriage that they might be one flesh. The Trinity, three beings, one person, or three persons in one being, and marriage, two persons coming together to form one union. And again, all of this is predicated on the idea that we don't see each other as greater than or lesser than, but we come at one another in a face-to-face connecting kind of way. You might remember that in Genesis chapter 3, all of God's, uh, you know, design kind of got tampered with when the man and the woman ate from the fruit they were not to eat from. And when sin entered the world, that's where that happened in Genesis 3. Do you remember what immediately follows? We're thinking one up, one down. Immediately after sin enters the world and God calls the man and woman to account for it, the man says these words, God, the woman you gave me. Translation, she's the problem. I was doing great on my own and then you did this. And then God in speaking to the woman, not, not speaking in a way that is um, uh, prescribed but just describing what would happen as a result of sin God says to the woman your desire will be for your husband in other words you'll want to connect but he's going to rule over you he's he's going to try to dominate there's going to be a disruption in that equality of order with which God designed men and women and again this is all lurking behind the, the spiritual forces of evil of our enemy who is trying to limit and in some ways destroy or deteriorate God's image in people, God's image in marriage, and God's image in the local church. Now I tell you all of that because though Paul doesn't use those types of words or that exact language, what he's addressing with Corinth is the issue of this one-up and one-down mentality. He does this first by addressing shame, which I'm going to call one-down mentality. And this is the idea that a part of the body of Christ, the local church, could look at another part of the body and go, man, that guy or that girl, they're so gifted. I'm nothing like that. I, I I don't have any talents like that. Therefore, I'm not needed within the body. Shame takes root, and that person sees themselves as one down. And Paul is going to counter that by saying, if you are in the body, you are needed. If you are a part of this makeup of eyes and hair and skin and ears and tissue and muscles and ligaments and bones, if you are anywhere within that body, you, you are needed and your gifts are needed there. 
There's a certain TV show that some of us are fans of. It was about a paper company in Scranton, Pennsylvania. It's called The Office. And because of trademark issues, I can't, I can't show you this clip, but some of you will remember when Dwight tried to learn to have the pedidexterity of a chimp by using his feet the way that you're supposed to use your hands. Whether or not you've seen the show, you can imagine that the result was not good. He dumped with his two feet a mug of hot coffee all over his body, and then Jim looks at the camera, his nemesis, and says, thank you, hands. Nothing in the universe can do what you do. This is an absurd but pretty accurate picture of what happens when the body of Christ says, my gift doesn't matter, therefore I'm going to try his gift or hers. And rather than helping the body by skirting around the unique gifting and calling we've been given, we end up hurting the body because we're doing what we weren't made to do. Imagine trying to type an email with your toes. Imagine driving a car with your hands pressing the gas and the brake. These are absurdities, but they paint the picture that every part of the body matters. And there should be no one in the local church, on any serve team, with any gifting or personality that says to themselves, if I show up, it doesn't really matter. Today, on this Sunday morning, there will be people all over the world who will be not going to church, and they might say something like, I just don't get anything out of it. To which I would argue, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't come to church to get something out of it, you come to give something to it. God gave us spiritual gifts, not spiritual receptors, right? Like, we both give and receive, but we can't do that when we're not engaged in life-giving community within a local church. And so every part of the body is needed. There should be no shame as we look around at the various gifts that we have. In the American context, at least in the 21st century, and probably as early as the 18th or 19th century, we esteem certain gifts like leading uh, speaking, musical ability. And we go, man, those people are super talented. Uh, th- those become almost one-up kind of gifts when we go, man, they get platform, they get stage. We're going we're gonna to exalt people that, that have these gifts, and yet we might at the same time look down on or at least overlook gifts like administration and hospitality and mercy. And there are churches with uber-talented people on stages where the whole body thinks the job is theirs and there's no mercy happening. And they don't know how to resolve conflict. And they don't love each other well. And the church implodes because there were people going, I don't matter because I'm not him or her. Verse 18 of the passage says, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. The point is that the value of our gifts has no correlation to the visibility of our gifts. Just because someone is a more visible member or has a title or stands on a stage, that means nothing about the value of what that person brings to the table. Our value is not determined by its visibility. Another way to say it is this, it is not the gift that determines our worth, it is the giver. Whatever your spiritual gift, whatever your unique wiring It is that because God himself has made you to be that. Your worth is in him. It's not in what you do for him. 
In uh, August, or actually I think it was September of this year, Nikki and I got to go to Chicago for our first time together. And as we walked the streets of the, I think it was the Millennia Park area, uh, we started hearing uh, orchestra music. Are any of you fans of classical music? You can just kind of nod, nod your head. A few of you are. That's not like what I'm playing in my car when I drive, but I can appreciate classical music. This was a, a picture of what we saw um, when, when we showed up. It's this incredible outdoor amphitheater. I have an older brother who is a concert pianist and a composer, and so I'm sending him you know, videos and pictures. And So we, we saw this, but the reason I'm telling you is the, the person that caught my eye was the guy in green. You know what he is, right? This is called the conductor. This individual has all of these different instruments, cellos and basses and flutes and, and I don't know all the instruments, but there's a bunch of them. And, and, and he's just, you know, his hair is flying everywhere and he's waving his wand around or whatever it's called. And should have prepped this a little better, but it, he's doing his thing, man. And everybody is responding and they're dialed in on the conductor. I mean, they're just, the timing, the notes, everything is working perfectly. And imagine the flute player going, you know what? My, my music, my music's just lost in the mix. I, I, no, nobody's hearing my flute. Nobody's standing up and applauding the fact that I'm playing a flute. I'm just lost. And that flutist stops playing. The other flute says, yeah, yeah, our whole, our whole area, we don't, we don't matter. And then pretty soon this starts rippling through the organ. You know, you know what would happen. What was once a beautiful symphony and sound and captures the, the senses and the imagination becomes dull, monotonous, or eventually even quiet. And yet when they lock in on the conductor, when they understand the value of what they do and they know that the conductor is leading them, it's a beautiful picture. This is the picture I believe Paul is asking the church to represent, that the scripture is calling for within the church. Every part matters. Go to verse 21 with me as we continue in 1 Corinthians 12. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. And God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no divisions in the body, but instead that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and all individually members of it. Having addressed the one down mentality or this idea of shame, Paul is going to shift and address the one up mentality or those who are coming to church with a perspective of arrogance. 20th century missionary J. Oswald Sanders says this, pride takes many forms but spiritual pride is the most grievous. To become proud of spiritual gifts or leadership position is to forget that all we have is from God. All the position we occupy is God's appointment. Let me say this very, very clearly. There is no place for arrogance within the church, within the body of Christ. There's no place. There is no gift that a person possesses that they can bow their chest up and roll their shoulders back and say, look how good I am. God is good. He is the giver. We simply manifest the gifts that he has given us. So this one-up mentality has no place. Paul, after speaking to those who are maybe lacking in confidence, now flips the page. It's the same subject, 
Still talking about this same idea, but he's going to come at it from this idea of those who are arrogant, those who have that one-up perspective, who are overconfident. And to these individuals, Paul is going to address three categories of people that these individuals might think of as lesser than them. Those three categories are weaker, less honorable, and unpresentable. Truth be told, when I was studying this week, I started thinking in my mind, so who in our church is the unpresentable parts? <laughs> Some names might be coming to your mind. That's not, you know, who, who are the weaker? Who are the, and what Paul's doing in my realization was Paul isn't putting people in categories. The, the point is not to say, hey, who among us fits into these categories? He's writing to people who have become arrogant and he's saying, think about how the body operates with what is considered weaker, less honorable, or unpresentable. See, if I see the church, if I see the body of Christ as part of me, then I'm not going to shame it. I'm not going to look down on it any more than I would shame a part of my body that is weaker. No, what am I going to do? I'm going to try to build its strength. I'm going to try to rehabilitate it. If, if a bone gets broken, I might go to a doctor to have it put in a cast or a sling. I might uh, take some medication to help it heal. Uh, if I have parts of my body that are not presentable, I cover them. I don't expose them. And Paul's point is, this is how it should be in the church. The real practical applications would be, one, when we know of somebody who's caught in a sin or somebody says, hey, I need help, we don't shame them. We don't ridicule them. We don't wag our finger. We say, hey, thank you for sharing that and let's work together to help you to heal and to become strong again. Wherever possible, we do that gently and quietly. We don't, don't make a big deal about it. Why? Because that person is a part of our body. And when something in our body is not going well, we especially care for it. And we remember along the way that every part, for better or worse, affects the whole of the body. This is Paul's point in verse 26. When he says, again, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. These past few weeks, I've had the chance to rejoice with brothers and sisters in this fellowship who are experiencing incredible breakthrough in their marriage, job promotions, uh, things in finances that are going well for the first time in a long time. And I have been walking with at a higher degree than I think any time I can remember in my ministry. People who are saying, Pray for me because I have a biopsy coming back this week. Pray for me because I'm going into a procedure, a surgery next week. I've been diagnosed with cancer. I've lost a parent. Our body is hurting. And so when one rejoices, we cheer. When we sing those songs and we affirm God's goodness, we do that together. And yet, we understand that when the body struggles, be it sin, sickness, injury, loss, that we link arms and we suffer and struggle with them. And we move with them toward a better situation. Having addressed the one-up mentality and the one-down mentality, Paul can now get to what's the crux of where he wants to go, which is this. He's going to give us a call to action. Let me read these last few verses in 1 Corinthians 12. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues? Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. 
What Paul is doing here is he is calling for the body to be on mission together. He's been talking about the spiritual gifts, and let me just say by way of reminder, we're going to, in a few weeks after Thanksgiving, we're, uh, actually after the new year, we're going to get into 1 Corinthians 13 and 14, and we're going to go into what those spiritual gifts are. We're going we're to talk about that. For now, Paul's trying to make a broader point about the way that the body works, but here in these last verses, he also introduces not just the gifts of the Spirit, but the unique callings and assignments that each of us has, have been given. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you not only possess a unique skill set, we call that a spiritual gift, but you have a unique role to play within the body. He mentions here three. He mentions uh, prophets, apostles, and uh, one other one that I can't remember. And in Ephesians chapter 4, he does the same thing. And this is what it says, Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all reach unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the fullness of Christ. So there are gifts of the Spirit. There are also these unique uh, wirings and assignments that we've been given. And what most often tends to be true is that whatever calling or assignment God has given you, the gifts that he has given you match it. For instance, let me give a couple examples. If you have a prophetic wiring or assignment or calling, you most likely have a spiritual gift of wisdom and maybe even exhortation. Uh, if you have an apostolic calling, William Karshima was in the, the first service. William and his wife Shiloh have a ministry in Nigeria where they're doing kind of first-generation gospel work and they're trying to transform a community. They're doing apostolic work and the spiritual gifts God have given them include things like leadership and administration. This past Thursday night, I got to hear them talk to a room full of people and tell the incredible stories of what God is doing in Nigeria. This is a complete aside, but did you know that the song we sang earlier, Waymaker, was written by a Nigerian worship pastor? Who in the face of all kinds of challenges that that nation is experiencing right now, politically and economically and, and with the rise of terrorism and all of these things, he's saying, there is a Waymaker and his name is Jesus. And there's an apostolic gifting when you go into places like that. Sometimes we call those people missionaries and the spiritual gifts given accompany that call. For me, I'm a pastor. That's my unique assignment. And to fulfill that assignment, God has given me gifts in knowledge and teaching. And I want to reiterate, you don't choose your calling or your gifts. God gives the assignment. And some of you are sidelined or frustrated or discouraged because God won't help you to accomplish a mission he hasn't given you. Like, I want to sing like Socrates, but God didn't make you to sing like Socrates. I want to lead like Marcy. God may not have wired you to lead like Marcy, but he's wired you to do something. He has called you and given you a unique assignment in some way. And the vision that I have for our church is, in part, that every member of this body would come to discover what their unique calling is and what their unique gifts are and that those callings and gifts would merge together to accomplish the one mission that God has given us, to follow Jesus and lead others to do the same. I love watching when the members of our church do what God has uniquely made them to do. When I watch my wife, Nikki, lead a team to accomplish a particular objective, she is unbelievably good at doing that. 
When I hear Steve Whittington break down a complex problem in clear and simple language that even I can understand, I'm like, this is awesome. When I talk with somebody who's been counseled by Holly Rockefeller, when I see Greg Lockie tackle a tough administrative challenge, when I experience the prayers of Barbara Pennington, what I'm seeing is the body of Christ at work. And thank God those five individuals did not get the same gift because I've been blessed at every level. And as, as much as I love and I enjoy the role that I have in the body of Christ, I also get to step off of this stage and me and my family get to benefit from the body that we're part of. And I've said it before, I'll say it again, we get so much more from you than what we give. And it's simply every part doing the unique assignment God has given us. Let me say it this way, when one member of the body discovers their gifts and surrenders to their calling, the whole body receives the benefit of it. Now the flip side of that, as I said earlier, is that when one member suffers, we all suffer with it. We rise together, we fall together. We are a body, and we are one. We're going to close the service in kind of a unique way I shared with you at the beginning. In, in a few moments, we're going to ha- have an opportunity for you to receive prayer. We're going to have leaders and deacons and members of the church that will be down front with me to receive those who want to come for prayer. Uh, but before we do that, I'm going to invite the, the team to come up and, and introduce a song to us. This is going to be a new song for us, and it's, uh, it's called We Are One. And, and what this song is, honestly, is just a prayer that what we know to be true, we've been made to be one, we are one body, that that would become more and more true in our experience. That we would see love increase, that we would see grace demonstrated in new ways, that the power of God in the working of the body would be like never before. So I'm going to pray, and then team, would you lead us in that song? Father, we ask, just as we're about to in a moment through song, God, that you would in fact make us one. God, that you would help us to see how every part of this unique local body called Horizon West Church is so needed. God, that we would not uh, be ashamed of what gifts we've been given. God, that we wouldn't be arrogant about what gifts we've been given but that as you designed, we would come together into a a beautiful tapestry of the gospel that the world might see and know that there is a good God who sent his son Jesus to save the world. We pray this in his name. Amen. Why don't you stand as we learn a new song together?
Team is uh, team is going to stay up here and, and continue playing softly. I want to invite our, our leaders and prayer team members, deacons, if you would, just kind of make your way down to the front. Um, and we're going to close the service, like I told you, with just the opportunity to receive prayer. We don't want anybody to leave and go, man, I, I didn't get prayer and I needed it. And so maybe that prayer is for you, for a child, a parent, a spouse. Uh, maybe that's a situation that you want to come on behalf of someone else. Uh, we just know that there are people hurting in the room. And uh, several came in the first service. We want to close by inviting you to come as well. And then after a brief time of prayer, uh, our campus director, Marcy, will, will close our service. So you come to receive prayer. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.